I've never seen a media blitz like this before. Children separated from their families is the media meme of the week. And since the content is the commercial, I gotta ask, what are we being sold? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, telling you about what I think are the most important stories of the week. But uh, this time, it's the story itself that's caught my eye. It's the fact that there's this media blitz like I've never seen before. It's just constant. Now, here's the uh, here's the general... Here's the propaganda meme that I think a lot of the mainstream media would like you, certainly on the left, to take away, is that um, evil Trump and his band of Nazis are tearing children away from the arms of their innocent victim parents, and they're putting them in detention centers just for their own amusement. Like, that's basically the meme from the left. And the facts, you know, there's so much, uh, you know, the facts are so misleading from that perspective. A lot of them are outright wrong. Uh, Many of them could bear a little explanation. But then on the right, I also see people feeding the fire. Jeff Sessions quoted the Bible. I mean, he had to have known that would be provocative. Melania wore that jacket that said, I don't care on the back of it. I mean, I would not let my daughter wear something like that. Like, I think that's like fresh and I love Melania. I'm not, I think she gets set up all day long. I feel bad for her. Uh, and sessions, uh, I mean, he is as unlibertarian a Republican could be. And I'm as I, I'm still libertarian. I don't even, I'm not even in that tent anymore, but I always, I just can't help but think he's a straight shooter. But this kind of stuff, he does stuff that plays along, and I I just have to scratch my head. It's getting harder and harder to defend him. Uh, But I don't actually want to kind of parse out the facts and go blow by blow because that's all you're hearing. I'm literally 24-7. That's all I'm hearing. And, uh, And it's very distracting for people uh, because... They they're focusing on these on these um, these ambiguous facts. So it's like for me, I coined a phrase during Trump's campaign called the art of ambiguity, not the art of the deal, but the art of ambiguity. Like Obama had the art of nothing, hope and change, like but had no platform. Uh, everything Trump said could be interpreted as something you loved or something you hated. You, you could just interpret it any way you want. And that's the way this story is like uh, absolutely every single fact could be interpreted one way or another. And then at the same time, it's the the kind of high dialectic, the dialectic, the two sides that are fighting against each other. But what they're actually doing, the real point of the dialectic, the left right dialectic here, as in all cases, it's the very definition of it, is that they're coming to the same solution from opposite sides. So you can look at that opposite person and get all your venom up and get all your defensiveness up and defend your side and interpret the facts as you want. But in reality, everybody's headed to the same point, the compromise point or whatever. 
And my job generally, I think, is to figure out what that point is, what that agenda item is. And it and uh what we do is like Binkley and I is we look at all this news as what it really is, which is propaganda and try to figure out what they're doing. And I, I, I have an idea of what the agenda is and I want to know what you think the real agenda is. What are they getting at? And I'm telling you, you, you can argue with me and I'm happy to have a polite discussion. I should say that, that the left and the right are really going to, are really want different things. I actually, maybe they do, but I think there's an agenda at work. I'm going to tell you what that is. Maybe at the bottom of the hour, certainly as soon as I can get to it. And I'm happy to hear what you have to say. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. But one thing that struck me about the, about the propaganda itself, about the pitch um, and the, just the intensity of it is that I, I kind of feel like it's it's a psychological experiment in itself that uh, it's so intense they want to see what kind of a frenzy they can whip you up into and what makes this the perfect experiment. And I'm not just, you know, down some rabbit hole I dug myself. Facebook was caught actually conducting psychological experiments. I feel like a large... Uh, job of the internet, which the Department of Defense gave us, is to see, to understand kind of cyber behavior, the digital herd, I think Binkley told me was the word for it, just just to understand crowd psychology in the digital age. So there's definitely that going on. Certainly, I can say definitely in that it's been proven that Facebook does it, and I think it's clear that it's being done on a bigger scale than that. But something like this... The reason I think it lends itself to that is to, to observing the power of the media right now at this moment in time is that a lot of this, for, for all intents and purposes, this issue was true in uh, during the last Bush administration. It was true during the Obama administration. The basic facts were the same. Uh but they were treated so differently by the media that the reaction was totally different. It just looks clear to me that this, the propaganda blitz is what's generating this, uh, actually embarrassing emotion. I, I was, I, I saw just a headline flash by Norma Torres. I think she's a Congresswoman from California. Maybe she was crying for this, these children who were separated from their families. Now, this woman, so I just immediately looked up, did she vote to reauthorize the National Defense Authorization Act one month ago? And since then, we're bombing all the beautiful little babies in Yemen. Or wait, beautiful babies are in Syria, right? The Yemen babies, not so much. Like, I don't get why this woman is not crying for the children that her authorization is actually killing. You know, innocent or not. Like, that's the thing. We're not talking about whether these people are innocent or not. We're talking about what's happening to the children. And uh, so there's just the fact that she and so many people on the left are crying when Obama actually got into a little bit of uh, of a tussle, tussle with the courts about how to handle this stuff. I think the issues are the same. Now, 
I can't, I don't have the stomach to really dig into the stuff that comes out of the left. As I've mentioned before, Binkley, my uh, trusty producer, is uh, very good at that. And I believe, Binkley, have you not been, uh, I think you call, you've been tweeting and calling my attention to some specifics or even more general themes of how this was kind of the same under uh, Obama as it is now and how differently it's been treated. Or do you have any kind of reaction to that, my premise there? Yeah, the reaction is definitely different. There are a lot of similar things going on under Obama. Obama had a zero tolerance policy that he didn't apply as strictly as Trump, but he still applied it, thus separating children from families. Only the the difference there is, of course, Obama did it for compassionate reasons, and Trump did it because he hates children. Oh, right, because with Obama, it was the alternative. Can you not hear me through the headphones? Now I can't hear you. Uh, I can't hear you at all. These the headphone mic connection is no good, and if we take them off, we you can't hear us. So, anyway, I might have to take it away. Um, yeah. So I guess that's a good point. In that, I believe that with Obama, I guess it was the Flores decision that the point was to not put kids in jail. So there was definitely that. Uh. So here, here's basically the same thing, and it's spun in totally different ways, which it could be spun in totally different ways. If you go through the facts, so the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Nielsen laid out the way it really is, and then, like, within hours, I saw something to the effect of, you know, in the formula of what CNN does all the time, which is, it didn't say it exactly this way, but they always do this to Trump, like 37 eye-popping lies in the Nielsen speech, you know? And then and then you go down this, uh, this self-fulfilling, depending on which side of the aisle you're on, you get all these talking points, these memes, this interpretation. And in reality, you're really just being told what you think by your side. And that's why I feel like this was some giant psychological experiment because these same people who are crying totally accepted the kind of benign explanation that came out of the Obama administration. Okay. So on the one hand, I feel like it's a total psychological experiment at the highest levels of media played into both by Fox and CNN, everybody on the left, everybody on the right, and the government actors on left and right. But I think there is an agenda at work. I normally, when I look for an agenda, I look for like the very, very big picture. I hate to say I think that it's a very, it's a uh, a pathetically mercenary goal here. I don't know, but I have to ask myself who's going to benefit from this? Qui bono? And I think I have my answer. Um, hopefully we can touch back with uh, Binkley after the break. And at the bottom of the hour, let's start the discussion on what's what the real agenda is. And boy, I found some smoking guns. So you're going to want to stay tuned, but also chime in 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. You always uh, are so enlightening. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. Talking about the story of the week from a libertarian perspective, children separated from their parents. Uh, I'm not making fun. It's just there's a it's obviously a political. What do you call it? Football? I don't know. Let's um, let's hear what you have to say. 
Tariq. Tariq, you are on the air with Monica. Can you hear me? Yes, I certainly can, and thank you for taking my call. Love it when uh, you call. Love your perspective. What you got? You know, the bottom line, this is just the progressive movement's taste of the week. Uh, you could go back a century, as I've said before. The bottom line is they want to fundamentally change the United States without invading us with military to change us to a socialist slash communist and a little Nazism in the way that they, you know, the way they manipulate uh, public opinion, the Antifa, uh, their militarized uh, arm. It, that's that's the bottom line. That's and interesting. Let me say, Tariq, that it's interesting because the whole uh, the way that we moved to socialism, um, like kind of social democracy, was this big conflict between communism and fascism that, in my opinion, kind of met in the middle to what we have now. Are you saying that we're actually going to tr- we're now just moving even further to the left to get the pure European level socialism? Well, that's that's their plan. But there's a large component of the American public that's fighting it. And that's what, one reason why Trump is there. Uh, and, you know, the bottom line, I thought about it from a philosophical standpoint, too. Why is it that the uh, right, center-right populace is, is more reserved in their methods? You know, they do it through authority. You know, the bottom line is a lot of people are center-right. Overall, they respect authority more. And they are reserved. They aren't as aggressive. Some of the best Republican leaders have been former Democrats, Reagan and Trump. Um, I can. I have an answer if you want to talk philosophy. This is my speculation: is that the right is based in individualism, which is Aristotle, which is self-control and self-morality, but the left right. is based in collectivism, which is Plato. Which, if your unit of society and unit of morality is the collective, you have to use force. Right, and and I agree with that 100%. And, and, and when I look at these things that they do every week, because you, you see how quick they'll shift. If it don't work, then they'll go to the next best thing that they think might have an impact on bottom line, uh, uh, it, making sure that their system is in place eventually. They've been working over, on it for over a century, but it seems like it's accelerated the last half century. I know for a fact because of my age. I can tell a big difference now. And that's the bottom line. They really don't care about those kids. I mean, these same people, they, you know, they, they, they are behind the support of aborting hundreds of, I don't know the number, but a lot of I think of it's 40 abortions. million in the United States since Roe v. Wade. Yes. Okay. You see, so they really don't care about it. The only reason they want that is because they know they get a lot of people in here that, aren't even familiar with our system and what we really stand for. And they come here because they come from a lot of areas that are, that are in, in turmoil. They don't have good government. They're not even safe to live in. And we're the big, big apple, as I said. So that's the way I explain it. But I know, you know, all of us have our lanes to travel in and, <laughs> and your lane is wonderful, just like Hannity's and Rush Limbaugh's and, and, and Mark Levin. Okay. And so it's it's very good to to get the emphasis and your take from week to week. Well, I feel the same way about you, Tariq, and uh, and I want to get into some of those ideas of 
And I'm a libertarian, and libertarians disagree and agree on different aspects of the immigration conundrum, is what I call it. So we can talk about that, and I'm going to tell you after the break why I think it's accelerated in the past 50 years. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. I think you're a great libertarian voice on the radio. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB Saturdays from 3 to 6. And we are talking about the uh, this big story of the children being separated from their parents at the border. It's a couple of thousand kids. The, the stories that are coming out... Um, these are asylum seekers. It doesn't happen to asylum seekers. So that's why you'll hear the kind of under the breath sentence, second sentence, well, they're getting turned away and then they're entering illegally and then they're called illegals, but they're really asylum seekers, whatever. It's, it's very tortured to turn this into the crisis. Even Trump calls it this massive crisis. It's, I think, and I got a tweet from Mysterio pointing out Puebla Sin Fronteras, who organizes caravans from Central America up through Mexico to the United States. Um, Mexicans can be turned away through expedited removal or whatever. You can turn them away, but non-Mexicans you can't turn away. It's like all these things are coming to converge in this perfect storm where you have this problem. And still, to the extent you, I can even believe the couple of thousand kids number there's 11,000 kids or more who show up unaccompanied whose parents are the ones who are separating them from their parents who's you know so there this it's a very uh it's a created event in my opinion and everybody's playing into it and I'm trying to figure out why and uh and I uh, there's one really obvious thing that I think is at work here and I'm going to break out the numbers for you. And I think you are going to absolutely agree with me. It seems to me ever since Michael Chertoff in 2005 and probably before him, whenever they talk about this stuff, they always slide in. We need more money for beds that this Homeland secretary Nielsen said it in her speech. Um, it was the opening line, at, at least as far as significant content in the memo that launched this all in April from Trump. We need money and contracts for more of this stuff, even though the demand for that had been declining. This big explosion is looks to me quite artificial. But when I tell you the numbers of uh, what we're talking about, um, I, I mean, maybe it doesn't compare with $20 trillion of national debt, but if somebody's lying in their pockets, he's on easy street forever. So I want to get to the numbers but uh, I've got a lot of calls, and I did just get a call from Tariq. I wanted to answer something that he said. Uh, he was saying that in his lifetime, he could see this move towards European-style socialism. That might have been my word, not his, but accelerate. And uh, something I heard on a podcast, 21st Century Wire, which is a very good source, rather disturbing, but a very good source for news coming out of Syria uh, they had said that uh, Iraq kids were in, were in refugee camps, and then 10 years later, it really changed the face of Iraq. And now Syrian kids are in refugee camps, and 10 years later, it's going to really change the face of Syria. So if our regime change operations don't work now, just wait 10 years, and it'll fall in our hands like a ripe fruit, to uh, paraphrase a communist leader. So, uh, So what I would say about this country is— after LBJ, after the 60s, after the 
the cultural revolution and education was changed and family um, was broken up, that, that just great upheaval in the education and communities of this country, uh, this generation is the generation that was born after that. Now, with Syria and Iraq, the older generation are dead or gone. So you can just do it in like one generation. Here, this this new wave, millennials or whatever, had to kind of be a couple of, uh, you know, ideological shifts away because older people, maybe my age and older, are still clinging, you know, to, I don't cling to guns and religion. I cling to the Bill of Rights, our only hope. Uh, but kids who are taught right is right, you know, rules are rules, but right is right, aren't talking about the Bill of Rights. They're talking about some subjectivism that they're being spoon-fed by Democrats because you're a Democrat or you're evil. <laughs> so that's a lot. I'm, I'm referencing a lot of things that, themes that we've been developing lately, uh, so maybe that's a lot to handle if you don't understand, or if you want to comment on what you think the agenda is for this latest propaganda meme, give me a call, 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Binkley, uh, my producer, is here at the ready, and there was something Tariq said that also got you thinking, right? What did he say, and what what what's your uh, take on it? Yeah, y'all were talking about Antifa, and... I was doing some research recently on Antifa, and one of my friends, like uh, their Facebook page, the local Atlanta group's Facebook page showed up, and a handful of my friends on Facebook had liked and shared a bunch of their posts. Now, we have to add the caveat that you're in theater, are you not? Yeah, so I have a lot of friends that uh, (laughs) probably don't like me anymore. I'm just saying my friends (laughs) are not, you know, liking Antifa. Exactly. They're not. But don't don't get me wrong. They're nothing like some of the most radical. uh, Yeah, right. That's what you're saying. They're they're good. They're good people, and that's why when I saw this, and and their names showed up in this search, um, they didn't realize that this local group is associated with a national group. It's under their umbrella. I believe it's called Torch Network. And if you read like their mission and their bylines, they're a very radical group that none of my friends who like this page would agree with. One of their like main things is to make the police their opposition and the importance of that. And I'm like, none of my friends that liked that page whose name shows up in that search would agree with that. But now right. they're associated. So so what's the upshot? They're getting I, sucked in because what Shriek right. said was that they're so radical, it's obviously top down, right? Yeah, I, I, Isn't I that think part that, of what he was saying? I think that the radical nature of these extreme groups, it, it kind of starts to take over the identity of people in the middle of it. So if you are associated with this group and people see you as that, then the only people who are going to take you in are the most radical people. I, I might also – I don't know if this – my uh, – I'll throw Aristotle and Plato around, but being uh, self-taught in that regard, I don't, I don't know everything. Uh, so I got I think this was Aristotle, where the idea was to aim for the opposite extreme of your great weakness, and you'll end up in the middle, which is kind of a dialectical idea: thesis, antithesis, synthesis. But if Antifa wants just European-style social democracy, maybe there is a segment of the population you have to throw the extreme other end of what we are in order to get 
the the body you know, it's just to move the center left yeah. and I, I hate talking about left right like that dialectic because it's bull I, I think the world corporation is above ideology right and, and I, I know how they got those people to to like their page and share some of their stuff they posted stuff like hey look at this Nazi in this middle part of Georgia <laughs> who's doing these things I don't like Nazis and everybody doesn't <laughs> like Nazis so they said I like that hey man at a certain point the opposite is going to be what's so bad about Nazis? And you know, that, like they're yeah. going to have to. Oh, please don't. Take uh, that goes on on the other end. So yeah, there are. Cases I'm just of that. saying, like they. You, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the extreme um, coming out in both directions while we converge on this liberty-less social fascist center. You know what I mean? Right. It's all coming out the same. You're going to have more warfare and more welfare. Both of those sides of the spectrum are for both of the communism and fascism is warfare and welfare. Exactly what you were saying earlier, and I think the key to not letting that happen is to recognize that these extreme groups are held up in the media and shown a lot more, but they're really only a tiny percentage of the actual population. Oh. Yes, it's that weirdly named spiral of silence. You yeah. can't stand it. It's this idea that this is what people are thinking, and you've got to – and it's not. It's right. just what gets it's the most not, attention. It's not, but it will – I think that works. I think that works. Like you uh, – uh, teenagers and stuff believe that, and then they want to – you know, key to that, even though it's not accurate. It's if it's pure... what they see all the time, it's that pseudo reality oh. that the media creates. Yeah. No, I don't want to go down that. That's just <laughs> depressing to me as a mother. I'm going to Charles in Athens. Hi, Charles. You are on with Monica. Hey, how's it going? Good. How I was going to go off what the last caller said. Tariq, yeah. Um, I know they, they do want to push it more left, but, but I, I think, um, and I've said this for a while, they – what they really want, and I don't want to mince words, they want to – they get gratification from watching conservatives suffer and die. They want they want us dead. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And you see it with Peter Fonda tweeting out, uh, but you also see it with, like, the left never coming to uh, the right's defense when their lives are threatened. Didn't – didn't Binkley, didn't Roseanne tweet something like that? In the wake of the Chick-fil-A thing, Roseanne being a person of the left, by the way, I'm serious. Right. Like what? What did that Chick-fil-A? Didn't you, Binkley, didn't you have that tweet, that Chick-fil-A thing? You, they should eat ass and die. Yeah, she said something like anybody who eats at Chick-fil-A should get cancer from the uh, chicken. Uh, the, it was yeah. really horrible tweet. Yes, yes. And uh, so what you're saying, Charles, is quite radical, but I feel like they do want to foment that kind of feeling because i think their theme is you're a democrat or you're evil and and that means anything goes yeah i, I don't you'll never hear a leftist blatantly say that but their silence says just as much like i, I remember asking a few leftist friends like you know maybe they thought it was a joke but it really wasn't i asked and gave them a choice like would you rather a child grow up conservative and christian or would you rather have them killed and they, they answered they would rather have the child killed and grow up Christian and conservative. They literally, you know, made that choice. Or I, I, that. I mean, I don't know. I, I can definitely see some people thinking that because you see, I don't know, that's pretty harsh. But, but there is this, it's zero tolerance. 
is what it is from the side that talks about tolerance. You know, it's zero tolerance. It's evil. It's and that's why I feel like I'm grasping for something, Binkley, that maybe you remember. It's it's why the rules don't apply. There are no rules. Maybe that's what we were talking about with Tariq saying, you know, with Aristotle, the seat of responsibility and ethics and stuff is in the individual. Therefore, you need these individual principles and you respect other individuals and you think, well, I need to have be respected because I could be in their shoes. But as if you take the other tack where it's the collective, you have to suppress or assimilate or destroy that which is not good for the collective. The individual is a threat to the collective by by the very nature of the two concepts. Right. So you can't actually have these immutable individual rights because that actually is the only threat to the collective because they don't talk about two collectives. There's one collective and yeah. then there's individual threats to the collective. Oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> I haven't had enough coffee. <laughs> It's too late for me to have another cup of coffee, and now you guys are making me think too hard. Um, and I'm going to do math later. So this is really, I don't know, fasten your seatbelts, people. Give me a call, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. 29 years of service in the Army as a, a professional intelligence officer. I sincerely appreciate your program. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We are talking about the border. What's happening at the border? What's it really all about? I have some ideas, and I want to know yours. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to James in Atlanta. Hi, James. You are on with Monica. How you doing, Monica? Good. How you doing? All right, I want to just uh, start by a quote from George Orwell, who I like it, from 1984. He said, "If you want to, ma- if you want to picture, if you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever." Yeah, and, and that's basically <laughs> what we're. <laughs> it bums me out too. <laughs> and um, you know, we are living in a time where we're already. I mean. People in the past have already spoke about it. We we are in. I, I think in a lot of ways it's too late. Um, yeah, I media, do too. I know. You, but yeah. we have to have hope. I, they want you to think it's too late. But keep going. I want to hear what you say. I, I, I just. I mean, the media is totally compromised. It's it, it's to the point where they know. Um, the they know that they uh the, I want to say you know the 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 globalists or are panicking you know they're panicking they know that you know what's going on they know through you know shows like yours monica is the real news and the word is getting out um they I want to totally... can i quote you on that james <laughs> yeah all right <laughs> i mean they they, they want to slowly take it they're slowly taking away our uh our freedoms they attack the first amendment Attack the Second Amendment. Now, if you notice in the country now, you can't say anything. You can't say – people are afraid. People are afraid to say anything outside the privacy of their own home, and that's the way they want it. What's Um, even crazier to me is that they're – that people believe they'll defend what they hear, the fake stuff they'll hear. They they advocate for the brainwashing. Yeah. They don't know that they're being brainwashed. Um, Yeah. The – the flooding of the country, 
you know, with with uh, with the illegal immigration is is part of the part of the plan. You know, people coming from other countries, they don't they don't have any idea about the about the liberties of this of, of this country. So they mm-hmm. they will perfectly fall in line with what with, with, with what's going to happen in the future, and that's what they want. And they get and they're desperate, and so that they will do whatever they need to do to get by, and that's why they're here. I mean, I there's a lot there is a lot to that immigration thing. Let me give you my take on that after the break. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty one eight hundred WSB Talk, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Uh, already engaging in a very lively conversation about what I consider to be the media meme of the week. Obviously, there's an agenda at work. I think the agenda could be how hard can we push an agenda and people will continue to escalate in frenzy. And, uh, and the agenda, or at least the meme, the presenting issue, let's call it, is children separated from their parents at the border. And I had opened the show by pointing out how Obama basically had the exact same thing, but nobody was crying in Congress. People were, nobody was a Nazi, you know. And uh, Binkley, my producer here, always digs out that kind of double standard. And did you just tweet? I just saw that funny picture you just tweeted. Made me laugh out loud. Yeah, it's an article (laughs) from the New York Times in 2016, July 18th. Mr. Obama's dubious detention centers, and then the cover image is a drawing of a bunch of children crammed into a tiny little box. All right, now this is what cracks me up because uh, that's that's nothing compared to what Trump's doing. I mean, I think he just nails their little na- their fingers to the wall and just lets them hang there. They're not allowed you know? to move, yeah. <laughs> hoses them down every once in a while. But here's the crazy part. I wonder if I can present these numbers in a way that's digestible orally, which is uh, – or let me just give it in a nutshell because I was doing – you know, I asked you to help me research. I was trying to find the numbers on this. I couldn't find anything. And then it's just slipped into these little articles. One of them was – I think it was a Washington – no, it's Huffington Post article I saw today – that uh, said these kids cost, this detention cost $319 per bed per day. These $319. So you that's just a rounding error when you're talking about $20 trillion debt. But I immediately Googled what it would cost to say at the Buckhead Ritz. So the Ritz Carlton and Buckhead starts at $291 for a king-size room. You understand what I'm saying? So they should just put them all up at the Ritz. (laughs) I guess so. But this is what what I came to the conclusion. I was trying to figure out uh, who is benefiting from this. I started my – I was keyed into this as early as the Kate Steinle shooting was – 
conveniently publicized or happened or whatever a week after Trump launched his campaign with the infamous uh, Mexican immigrants are rapists. Or like, I, I'll say that. And people are like, he didn't say that. I'm like, I know he didn't say that. I'm just saying. He said something the left set called that. And then this thing validated him from the right. And, and it's been like that ever since. But I knew right away, as soon as, if you looked into that story, even in the slightest bit, you, the story was false from the beginning. That guy was deliberately placed in San Francisco at the request of a sheriff there against their, even their sanctuary city laws did not justify what this guy did. And he was brought there after five years in federal detention uh, for repeat illegal entry. He was mentally ill a drug addict, all that kind of stuff. So I looked into the laws and all that, and all the laws were there. But I also tried to figure out what's the agenda here besides validating Trump's, um, his dialectic. But it was that everybody called, Kate's Law and everything called for more incarceration. And I immediately realized the prison industrial complex is very big and powerful. And it's the most corrupt industry I actually have um kind of verified the corruption myself, uh, you know, you just, there's tons of evidence that there's corruption, lobbying for more um, extended sentences and all that kind of stuff. So you go through all the criminals, right? And then, and then how are you going to keep jailing people? Like, industries need to grow. Companies don't like to stay stasis, you know, in stasis. So then after you get through real criminals who steal and kill, then you get mala prohibita criminals, bad people because they are doing something prohibited drug addicts or drug dealers even whatever then you fill them up with that so the u.s has its huge incarceration rate how are you going to keep that growth model going well there is literally not literally but figuratively an ocean of humanity that would love to come to the u.s and if they come in and they get ensnared in a jail uh they nobody's here to help them you know nobody's gonna gonna fight for their habeas corpus rights and stuff like that i'm not being the bleeding heart like these people are in jail i'm just telling you it is an a limitless potential for growth if instead of just turning people away i think this this issue has been framed in the exact same way at least when i saw a 2005 interview with michael chertoff who was the homeland security secretary at the time he said we can do expedited removal, basically turn people away at the border if they're Mexicans and at the Mexican border. And we did 900,000 this year. Uh, but some people, if they're not Mexicans, you can't turn them into turn them away into Mexico. Like Mexico is not responsible for having let them get to you through them, which is an interesting point. And you also can't do that if they're legitimately seeking asylum. Uh, so you have that problem and you can, I mean, that's your source. That's your source of limitless uh, justification for increasing penitentiary beds. And and I looked at just one company. It's supposedly nonprofit. It, it services almost half. So 11,000 kids are unaccompanied minors. So the parents send them or they escape or whatever. Only two or 3,000 are ones that are separated, quote. And even then, that's dubious, in my opinion, because they could be separated from, like, not real parents, you know, traffickers and stuff. That's what the argument, I think, is. Anyway, this Southwest Key has 5,000 beds out of, like, let's say, a need of 14,000. They, last year, they, uh, their total revenue for the year was $286 million. 
So far, year to date, their fiscal year since October 1st, so far now, is $459 million. So if you kind of annualize that, make it like it was a whole year, that's $610 million. That's more than double this year they will make than last year. And we're talking they're getting well over $100,000 per kid. I mean, if I can do the math right, I tried to do the math on their website, but they shut their website down. So thanks to Binkley, I got some information from the um, department, HHS, Health and Human Services, has some tracking, but I can't dig into, like, who's getting that money. Like, it's got to be the vendors. They, I think they pass it through to, like, people who provide the service, who are obviously making out, I mean, $120,000. Uh, and I would, I would even call into question that number, that it's $120,000 per child per bed, but that's what the Huffington Post number of $319 per bed per day amounts to. Uh, so there's one line item. Just June 11th, 2008, so two weeks ago not even, was $147 million for uh, Southwest Key Program's unaccompanied alien children's shelters in Texas. Just one line item. For the whole uh, year to date, the Texas unaccompanied alien children's shelters got $268 million. I mean, these numbers are crazy. This is, I, I, I can't think of this as being anything but corruption, and I would continue my investigation, but they shut their website down. Now, in addition to that, our prison companies and other, like, detention facility providers, public, private, I don't think any of the others call themselves nonprofits, but this, even if this isn't the primary agenda, it's kind of like destroying Libya or destroying Iraq, um, people don't really know this, but Mike Rogers, the congressman, stepped down because his wife uh, was employed with one of the security firms in Benghazi, and also they had an interest in, like, rebuilding stuff, stuff that would rebuild the infrastructure in those countries. I mean, if you just look at, yes, there are big-picture world government, world corporation agenda items at work, um, but there's also that low-level, uh, you know, I don't want to call it graft. I don't even know what to call it. But I think there is something very, uh, you know, just simple payola, kind of simple corruption in this. And I don't think it's getting any attention, and I don't think it will get any attention. But uh, it was very clear in what the Homeland Secretary said in Trump's initial memo and what Chertoff always called for. To their credit, I believe the Senate did not include that. They passed something this week. I, it wasn't just on one in one body. It's not law or anything. But it did not have this, this spending in there. So maybe there are two sides in D.C. still. Uh, we shall see. But what to watch out for? Keep your eyes open for any... Um, any hints of, of somebody benefiting? I'd like to know who's getting the checks that the Southwest Key is writing. But look, it took me all that time because, you know, math is hard. So <laughs> to quote Malibu Stacy. Um, so I'm sorry, Joe. I kept you on hold. I'll get to you after the break if you want to hang on. And Binkley, did I miss anything? Did you have a tweet or a question? Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I thought what you said about the website going down – 
at such a convenient time was very yeah. interesting. And it says, like, sorry, we've had too much traffic, so we're taking our website down. Too much traffic? Like, like the border? Southwest they've had Key? too much traffic? Yes, yes, yes. How are they? No wonder it costs them $120,000 a kid a year. They can't, like, oh, wow. Yeah, just what does the money go to specifically? Do we have any well, idea? Well, that's the thing. So I looked at their financial statements, the one I could find, which was, like, 10 years old, and it's passed through. Like, it has a check that it writes to service provider for mm. like $10 million, you know, and that's service provider. <laughs> so they call it a nonprofit, but I, I'm not, don't quote me because I really cannot, I used to be an investment banker. My living was to look at those financial statements and figure out where the money was going. And um, I'm trying to do that here and I can't, but the Southwest Key is called a nonprofit. The CEO gets 800 grand a year almost, but um, but the vendors, you'd have to look and see, are the vendors nonprofits? Are they, you know, like somebody's got a fat wallet because it doesn't cost 120000 I'll do it. 120000 after tax dollars for one, every single individual. Think about what that would mean for like the size of your house. You know, the amount of servants you would have. It's just, anyway, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, Joe. I'll be right back. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. That was phenomenal. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Hey, guys. It is Monica Perez. I'm getting complaints, and we've noticed it here, that my mic is lower than Binkley's. And we've got a new system in place, and I think we're trying to work out the kinks here. Hopefully, it's uh, not a deal breaker. I'll try to scream, which it should not be too... Hard for this New Yorker. Youngest of nine, I was born screaming. <laughs> ah, anyway, still screaming. Sorry. No jokes. No jokes. Uh, okay, whoa, let me talk to Joe, who's been waiting and waiting. Hey, Joe, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Monica, you're right to question how much all this stuff costs, but let me run this by you. If we built the wall, it would be good for both countries. Actually, all these countries and the uh, in Mexico and Central America that are having all these drug wars. These drug wars are fueled by Americans' drug habits. If we built the hall, the wall, it would curtail the importation of drugs and would stop most of those wars down there because there'd not be nothing to fight over. These were relatively calm and pleasant places to live, especially in Mexico, until we got this proliferation of drugs in the United States. So if we built where'd the wall, they come from, all... though, pardon, where do you think where... those drugs are coming from? Well, they're coming from oh, they're being grown in Mexico. A lot of the marijuana is being grown in New Mexico. And then a lot of it's being imported into Mexico. And but I think it's border. it's been well established through a book, Dark Alliance and the Iran-Contra thing. And um, Barry and the Boys is another book that the drugs are only coming over because we're letting them come over. So a wall isn't going to help if the CIA is allowing aircraft. Well, Mark, yeah, that's a problem. You, you got to assume that, that the, these agencies are doing their jobs. Oh, but you can't assume job. that. It's been proven well, that there are elements in those agencies that get that bypass apples in every agency. No, I know. But what I'm saying is the bad apples are making the system not work. It only takes a few giant planes full of cocaine to fuel the problem. Right. You know, there's a problem there. And here's the other thing. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't cut you off, but I got to say, I won't cut you off here. I, 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 you can talk. Go Go ahead. Sorry. I I just, yeah. Sorry about that. I'm having problems with my mic. Um, 
the issue is there's a thing that Weld and Heidi Cruz came out with, this North American Union, where they, they don't, if there's a wall, they just want to leave the door open. You know, I think that's the problem is the policy, not the enforcement. Well, again, if we built the wall, it would, it would stop the, these people from pouring. A- well, that might be true. Uh, I, I do have to cut you a break. It might, it might stop the people from pouring. You can hold on if you want, Joe. I don't want to cut you off um, if you want to hold on through the break. But I do feel like uh, the wall's just a diversion. Um, but I want to hear what you have to say. So, or whoever, can we call 800-WSB-TALK? This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB Saturdays from 3 to 6. And I believe I believe we are continuing to have some technical difficulties. So just turn the radio up, I guess, for now. Is that right, Binkley? Are we still having a little bit of technical difficulties? We are still working on it, and uh, we believe the internet feed might be level, but we're not certain. So is it that my mic is too low? Is that right? Your mic is coming through lower than mine and lower than the caller's mic. Uh, ooh, how about – here, say something. Something. Say it again. Again. All right. How's that? Is my mic better now? I can't hear the difference okay. in All that. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's, we won't drag anybody through this. I just wanted to try to help. But anyway, I have been having problems. Um, but we just had a call from Joe, and and he was talking about we should build a border wall so that people can't get in. And I personally don't believe that the problem is this this conundrum of enforcement that we just simply cannot figure out how to keep people out. The, these They do turn people away. It's just that we have a couple of laws that are a, allowing this to happen. One is that they can't turn non-Mexicans away, and they can't turn people away who are seeking asylum. So, uh, but I would go further, and I think it's all manipulated, this particular case. But I've been given this a lot, a lot of thought. There, there's, let's say there's 7 billion people in the world. 6 billion of them are pro- probably have a lower living standard than we do. I mean, Binkley, do you think that sounds reasonable? Sounds reasonable to me. All right, even if it's 5 billion, even if it's 1 billion, okay? Why don't we have a billion illegal immigrants every year coming in? Because it's not this out-of-control, who-can-stop-the-river thing. I believe illegal immigration is highly regulated. I think that the government knows exactly what they're doing, and it goes back to Milton Friedman saying illegal immigration is the only free market for labor and employment that there is. There's no laws pertaining to that. And I'm I'm in favor of it. I think – I don't believe that you can – the government has a right to tell you who you can allow or deny – on your private property, it's distasteful, but it's your private property. You want to hire somebody or not hire somebody for whatever reasons, you let them on your private property. If we had private roads that they too could have the same kind of um, arm's length transactions. Uh, so I believe that it actually is quite a, uh, a regulated system and that they're moving now. I believe there's what they call a paradigm shift, a whole change in the in the – underlying um, structure that they're moving away from providing us middle America with the lower paid labor to help us be more productive. So they can watch your kids and clean your house and um, do the, the real hard 
labor that just gets them hourly pay that's barely worth it. I mean, if you see these construction guys or the, the craftsmen, they're such good workers, but just their language skills put them in a category where they're making peanuts. Um, that actually, let I think this, you know, maybe it's controversial. I don't know. I'm just thinking. I think that we then are able to do service jobs, stuff that generates more money. And I believe there was a Bill Clinton statement at the time of NAFTA saying we're going to let them build everything, make everything, provide all the services, and we're going to go to like an all-service economy, which will be higher productivity for us. If they're shifting, and, and we benefit from that. I know uh, there's a, a welfare net and, and there's services and all that stuff, and, and you could analyze the math and maybe tell me that I'm wrong, but I think that there's a chance that the way it is now, we have a higher standard of living and more productivity in middle America because uh, they are doing the stuff that pays less and takes longer. Now, if you are eliminating that, and one of the things Trump called for in one of his tweets, of course, like the uh, policy agenda setting is tweet in a tweet now, that one of the things he wants is merit-based legal immigration. Now, that's a big lobbying push from big tech. They don't want to pay people who have $100,000, $200,000 worth of school loans and they have to pay them big money. They want to take people from other countries, countries that provide higher education at the taxpayer's expense to the people who can achieve it. They want those people to take that quote, nothing's free, but quote, free education, and bring it here, which will drive down uh Theoretically, and I think that's why they're paying big money in lobbying because they think it's true. It will they it will allow them to pay less to these people, and and big tech has been reprimanded or even fined for colluding on pay and everything. They really care about that. They don't want to pay these skilled laborers skilled labor wages, salaries. So they want they want to move to a merit based legal system. But those, to the extent you think the illegal immigrants are crowding your jobs out, I don't think they are at all because. They earn something like 20000 a year, and our welfare floor is higher than that. You're better off getting welfare if you can than taking some of those jobs. But the ones who are coming over and, and competing with you when you have fresh school loans, that is where you might actually have some problems. So the merit-based thing, uh, would I believe that's at a at – a, a skill level that would actually compete with our the the stuff that employs us most productively. Now, maybe that's not a libertarian position. I'm just trying to figure out the reality. Uh, my position as a libertarian is if we eliminated all labor laws, all welfare, um, you, you know, wage floors is what I call it. Nobody will work underneath that. All school loan subsidies. If you take out away all school loan subsidies, you can still get school loans, but it's going to be from a bank that assesses if you're going to be able to pay it back. They're not going to give you a school loan for jazz theory. They're not, unless you're really going to be the next Miles Davis. So they, you know what I'm saying? So, if you take all that stuff away, you're not going to have – I've told this story before. My great-grandfather brought his wife and my grandmother to this country 100 years ago, whatever it was. They were Syrian. The wife died, I think, in childbirth. And the my great-grandfather, he couldn't handle it here. There was no safety net or whatever. He left my grandmother in an orphanage of Irish nuns, and uh, and he went back to Syria. 
and I don't know what happens to them now. They're probably in, you know, <laughs> living in rubble, but uh, I probably have second cousins over there. But I'm just saying these people, uh, when there was no safety net, they, they could sink or swim. You either contribute to the productivity or you don't. So as a libertarian, I don't have an immigration problem. I don't need to have an immigration position, not to mention because I believe in strict private property rights. So nobody has the right to tell me I cannot employ whomever I like. And uh, and once you start saying, well, your private property is limited, we have to tell you who you can and cannot employ, what you can and cannot discriminate against. You have to have a law. You have to have a road up to your house so that I can deliver the mail. Once they take away your strict private property rights, you can't defend your own borders. So what do you have to do? You have to agree with everybody else in the country on how we're going to control the borders of the collective property, the collective private property. If you restore real private property rights... You don't have to worry about what anybody else does. You know who's going to take care of Border Patrol? The people who own the ranches in Texas, like they used to. They're going to stand there in their in their the things they sit in, you know, and uh, with their rifle, and they're going to do what the drug dealers do right now. They sit up there and they watch and make sure rival gangs don't smuggle anything over the border. The border is controlled, whether you think so or not. What a rant that was. So let me let me take a breath and maybe let somebody else do the talking. I'm going to go to Bruce. Bruce, can you hear me? This is Monica. Monica, enjoy the show and was just listening to the uh, opinion that uh, people that go over the borders uh, don't have uh, an influence. And my position is that being working in the at-risk community with with young uh, men and women over the past 20 years, a lot of them were never, never able to get jobs simply because uh, the illegal aliens were able to charge less for their hourly wage, and they undercut these kids. And they were never able to be employed. And you have to learn a, a job skill, whether it's digging a ditch, whether it's uh, cutting wood. And uh, 20, 30 years ago— Why couldn't we those all... kids work for the same as— Are you saying so those kids had to go on welfare because they really could not pay the rent? I, I just want to know why they couldn't yeah, undercut. Yeah, they, they were already— they were already on welfare, typically uh, as, as very young children. And as they progressed in our programs, uh, most of them uh, quit school, didn't have a GED. So, you know, you would, you know, instead of being able to get a job, they, they were unemployed. And that got them into doing other things that they shouldn't. And I know. I hate that. And I feel like the welfare floor keeps them from taking those. And, of course, you have illegal immigrants who are willing to live in conditions that are really subhuman. I mean, that is an actual um, problem. But but you have to consider who you're obligated to. We're not obligated to the whole world. You know, we We're not even obligated to each other. Oh, yes, we are. Absolutely. No, only we to the extent we're obligated to everybody. You know what I mean? Our, our moral our obligation. No, no. Our Constitution uh, prescribes our borders and say that we must protect them. They're, they must be protected for a reason. There's a logic why we have a Constitution and borders. But for us to assume that everybody can come in and they all have the same mindset of taking care of America is wrong. A lot of these people could care less. No, I, I actually think that the reason they're brought in is that one of the reasons I think this is not a new idea is it, they don't understand the system and they don't really understand what makes the system work. They don't understand the beauty of free market capitalism and how much more prosperity 
it yields. So they come in from socialist countries and they're they don't if they don't even speak English, they're highly influenced by these very well coordinated organizations that try that help them tell them how to vote and stuff like that. I totally agree. Well, let, it's let, very yeah, corrupt. let me tell you, I have I have high respect for uh, most of the immigrants that I meet. I really do. I, I think that they're very fine people. I know quite a number of them and work with, with quite a number of them. But the problem remains that they are actually taking entry level jobs from from people that from Americans that need them. And we act as if that doesn't have. Yes. But here's what my solution does. is. Eliminate okay. welfare. It'll, OK, well, that, I don't know. I don't want to do that. I think I think that welfare certainly has a place. We're going to always have a certain percentage of Americans that simply can't do for themselves. And I think the but that's a moral obligation. Well, I mean, when or you, certainly when, it shouldn't yes, be at the federal at, level. OK, so we're going to be nihilist in this. No, I'm saying? saying I'm saying it's not in the federal. It should not be a. Uh, why does the federal government have to involve itself in that? Why does California has tens of millions of people? Why Why does money for welfare have to cross borders? It's better to do it where you can actually see the needs and understand it. There are many many countries right. that are smaller than. There are countries that are smaller than the smallest state. You don't actually need to have welfare in a 300 million person pool. And well, then you I, could control I, I, it better. I don't want I don't want welfare for everyone. I think that it's 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 a need. However, I do think that we need to help those of our citizens that need uh, need help and assistance. We need to allow them to have a job uh, that, that most of them would be willing to work. And when they work those menial labor jobs, like I did as a young seventeen year old digging ditches, that you'll figure it out. You don't want to do that for the rest of your life. I agree with that. And I would say, I would just say that, uh, that you can decide how you help the neediest people on the state level, which would be consistent with the 10th Amendment. I'm in favor of that. Or you could do it uh, on a religious level. You could decide that however you want. All 50 states could do it different ways. And, uh, when you do that, the Americans would crowd out the immigrants and the immigrants would stop coming because the Americans would take those jobs. So a free society, I think, would result in more equality of pay and more prosperity overall. Uh, but this is the libertarian, this is the libertarian system. I'm happy to keep talking about it, but I got to take a break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. I'm not interested in fantasies. I'm interested in reality. On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Talking about the kids at the border. I got time for a call. I'm going to Charlie. Charlie, you're on with Monica. Can you hear me? Yes. I uh, got before me, took a little bit of my thunder, uh, mm-hmm. taking away jobs. But I've got another thing that I never hear anybody talk about is a way to get uh, the wall paid for. You know how many billions of dollars are wired out of our country back to Mexico and Central America every day? Month. Let me ask you a it's, question, Charlie. Uh, why do don't you we think tax that money? I have a question for you. Do you think Sweden has an immigration problem? Do I think Sweden has an immigration yeah, problem? Yeah, you, you ever hear the news reports about Sweden? Yes, I do. Immigration? Yes. I, in fact, I, we met a couple on vacation last year. Okay. And she talked about how horrible it was. Here's my question for you Do you think the answer for Sweden would be to build a wall? I don't know. I don't know. Well, their immigrants are Somalian and Iraqi. You know what I'm saying? 
But our immigrants are not Somalian. I know, but I'm saying the reason they have the same, if you want to say they have the same problem we have, is that it's the policymakers and the policies. It's, this is not an enforcement problem. There's The wall is a distraction. It'll take years to get through. We're, Chertoff was talking about the same issues we're talking about today in 2005. For 13 years, they've had the same talking points because they want us distracted. Meanwhile, the 2026 World Cup is being hosted by North America. <laughs> you know, North America. Yeah. That means the borders are going to be completely open. And, uh, and, and this is another stepping stone towards the North American Union, which to me is, is what the goal is. So you're going to have a wall. You can build your wall. And the second the wall is built, you're going to argue about when the, you know, who gets to open the door or why. These people are being stopped at the border. The guy who uh, allegedly shot Kate Steinle, uh, he was stopped at the border every single time. I think the wall is a distraction, but I'm happy to continue the conversation. 800 WSB Talk, this is Monica Perez. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Always making waves if we talk about immigration. I get grief from both sides. I'll go home and get like hate emails from people, libertarians who say open borders or nothing, which is in a free society, no one would, would have the right to to stop a third party from crossing from their property onto your property. there Nobody would even have that right. This society is so highly controlled, I actually believe even the illegal immigration, the numbers are regulated. That's what I think. But I, I think if you go back and read something like the report from Iron Mountain, whatever you think about that, it certainly shows how the elite, the think tanks, the behind the scenes actually view these very high-level policies. They talk about warehousing certain people. So people have been calling and saying, yes, they take jobs. These illegal Im- immigrants take jobs from these guys I work with, at-risk youth, blah, 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 and they get squeezed out. And and it's possible that in the bigger picture, the way these guys talk about it, uh, they, they actually talk about in the report from Iron Mountain, the unemployable. And what do you do with them? You have a draft. You put them in jail. I mean, stuff like that. It's absolutely crazy. Maybe they consider this this segment of American society unemployable, and they need people who are going to come in and bust through that welfare floor or work for below minimum wage, uh, what they called in the report from Iron Mountain, carriers of water. I mean, I do believe that this is not as uh, what can we do out of control as we think. That's why I don't believe in the wall, because I don't believe that – the problem is we can't figure out how to enforce this. I think the problem is they have to tell us that they recognize um, traditional views of migration or or maybe new views. I don't know how you want to present it, but what they're telling, what the policymakers are telling us about their beliefs or their desires is different from what the desires really are. So they're working behind the scenes. Then you can go to the. Council of Foreign Relations report written written by William Weld and um, 
contributed to by Heidi Cruz called the North American Union, which talks about breaking down those borders um, and not breaking down those borders in a libertarian way, breaking down those borders and making sure that all the laws across the North American Union conform to the most restrictive policy in existence at that time. So whatever law you want to pick, look at the Mexican, Canadian and American law, U.S. laws. The one that's the worst is the one that they're going to pick, and they actually propose, this is not a conspiracy theory, this is what they propose, is having a group like the Bilderberg Group, they actually cite that, that will help legislators affect this change in legislation, um, presumably behind the scenes, because I didn't know the Bilderbergers helped our legislators affect legislation um, and normalize it between, I think, the U.K. and the U.S., although you can see the impact. So uh, I think it's a little higher level than we're being spoon-fed. I'm going to take a couple of calls. Binkley, do you want to chime in before I do that? Cause, um, it just sounded like you were describing what used to be the deep state, which the deep state definition has changed. No. <laughs> they say it has, but it hasn't. <laughs> the deep state is not Obama holdovers. The deep state killed JFK. Stop it. <laughs> Stop. So they're time travelers, these Obama holdovers. <laughs> It's an entity that is that it's like these tax exempt foundations. They're they're beyond yeah. human lifespans, yeah. and that's that's how come they work so well. That's why the communists advocated putting people in secretary positions and organizations so that they could last a long time and exercise covert control. Oh, that's interesting, and that's why in this country they put the kids in, like Chelsea Clinton, will inherit, you know, will wield a hundred million or more. Uh, in power, even though she's not actually spending it on truffles and bonbons, <laughs> I, I don't know how many, how much you need for truffles and bonbons. I could probably make a dent in it, but um, yes, very good. So let me get to some calls, and I and and actually there were a few points I I did not want to let this show go without making. So stay tuned for those. First, I'm going to go to Jeremiah in Douglasville. Jeremiah, you are on with Monica. Hey, Monica, terrific. Thank you, and. Uh... What a great work. Really appreciate it. You Thank made a comment, should we, you know, should we eliminate welfare? And I, I often ponder that. I think it's a – in fact, I think it's have some great ideas um, that would happen. If we were to take all of the burden of welfare and contribute it back to the taxpayer, what would that look like? You know, the taxpayer would have greater discretionary money to engage in whatever they wanted to engage in. And I think people want to be charitable. People want to be compassionate. The 501c3 organizations – don't exist solely on the donations. I mean, the dollar-for-dollar dollar benefit isn't there for most people, I don't think. So people are people want to be engaged in meaningful work. People want to be compassionate. People want to help. And so if you, if you load them up with their own money, then they can engage their neighbor, right, the person who lives right beside them or the person that works across the, across the street from them, you know, the, the, the merchant that they deal with every day, their friends, their family. And then you have a, a, an organic charity system this is nothing oh. new i think this is i think this is what occurred probably 100 years ago in this country i think it's occurring in today. connecticut right now when i see the guys i used to work with investment bankers just they're just dripping with money i mean it's like it, it kind of like I, i'm still not okay with it because if i had chosen that path i'd probably be a huge jerk but fantastically wealthy um but i look at uh their wives really, too, and I hate to sound sexist, but I, I don't know any women who stayed in the business, but I know the men who did, and their wives, they are 
their power, their self-respect, their status in the community comes from their charitable work. It's it it has a lot of social value. So when you have surplus, you do that is one of the things you do with it. But for me, the reason I would get rid of welfare isn't so much because although I, I hear what you're saying, it's not like it's my money. You're you're actually looking at what would the impact be at the level of the people who get to keep the money. I actually think welfare is meant not to help the people who receive it, but to hurt them. I think you're better off burning the money. Take it away from the, you know, you can you can keep the tax level the same, but just don't give it to able-bodied people because it will destroy them. And it does. I mean, that's what the guy was saying earlier. Like, his people, they can't get these jobs. They can't compete with immigrants for the jobs. Probably, I think, basically either because they really can't do the work at that level um, or they refuse to live uh, for any amount of time at, at that standard of living, which... Trust me, I I feel the same way for myself, but um, but then they get sure, up to it, no good. It, it, they get up to no good. Sure, and if you and if you receive your charity from from a person like me, then we're yes. gonna have a relationship, and hopefully, I'll inspire you to do more. You know, there's something, and you can keep an eye on it. You can say, "Hey, get I mean, off your butt." Yeah, and, as opposed to going to the mailbox, your relationship is with the mailbox. You know, and then you're entitled. It, you know, you're entitled yeah, so, you know, to it. There's something also intrinsically wrong with the with the tax code system where where we say, look, there is a there is an incentive for you to give. I mean, the whole idea of giving is to give, not to gain, right? Yeah. So we we even well, that's going away. Well, we even deteriorate we even deteriorate people's incentive to to truly give and truly help other people because the only time I'm going to give. Right is whenever I get a benefit from giving. Not you know, to where, mention, where, where, where's the holistic giving? Not to mention actually, that actually helps people. When you're talking about wealth transfers, the the federal government has absolutely exploded in size over the past whatever several decades. And I looked at it, and the actual number of people employed has gone up very little as a per- percentage of the population. It's all wealth transfer. So uh, the money that there is more than enough money out there to give everybody a great standard of living. So you're paying these taxes, you're doing your job. If people aren't getting it, why is that? Because they're drug addicts or whatever, I don't know. But you get this idea, hey man, I gave at the office and you you want that office. You voted for that office. So I'm not giving you anymore. And and also when you have the deductions for charity, it does they go away in a lot of countries because they're the way that people use to launder their money and not have to pay such high taxes. So I predict that the charitable deduction is going to go away in this country. And Trump's tax code was really the first step towards that. I think people in certain tax brackets are noticing that disincented to give charity. But um, very interesting, Jeremiah. I love to think about the bigger picture. Um, Jeff, I need you to hang on because I don't want to give you a tiny amount of time. And I want to hear what you have to say. Binkley, we've got about a minute. What uh, What's your – you got any reactions or tweets or thoughts or headlines? Yeah, I got a tweet for you. Um, Mysterio tweets that this definitely sounds talking about the uh, the money that was put in that you you talked about earlier. He said this definitely sounds like a get rich scheme for someone. Common sense says the accommodations could be provided for far less. Yeah. So I was what he is talking about. In case you missed it, was I I was absolutely struggling to try to get the math. I couldn't find the paperwork because the providers of these beds at the border. Are uh, um, 
the one, the biggest one, supposedly nonprofit, took its website down. It just has a page that says, you know, hey, here we are, but don't click on anything because it's not going to work. It was weird. And if you click, you go try to find their annual report and you click through to the links, they're all like error 404 because these they took it down. So how many people are clicking on their annual report? They had to take that down. I'm the only one for sure. I've never heard of that. But you found it on a government disclosure. It wasn't wasn't all the details I was looking for, but I was trying to figure out what the numbers were, and I came out with something that, like, I kind of couldn't really believe, $122,000 per child per bed per year, you know? And I'm like, that's just crazy. Think about that. $122,000. It can't be right. I have to be off by a factor of, like, five. And then I saw in the Huffington Post, they just threw out $319 per bed per day, and I think I think I've done the math, like, ten times already. It's like something like that, you know, right? Can I... I want to do the math again. That's got four zeros and a 12 in front of it. So um, I think that it's the same number, and I, I'm just flabbergasted. And and that's what Mysterio is saying. It's like it's crazy. It just doesn't it, – it defies common sense that, that they're asking for more money. Uh, the Homeland Security Secretary is asking for more money. You know, that's – they're asking for more. Anyway, huh. Jeff, hang on. I'll get to you right after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I have a weekend prize pack for you. A family four-pack of all attraction passes to Stone Mountain Park to enjoy Dinosaur Explorer, Sky Hike, the Summit Skyride, and more exciting attractions. Plus, stay for the Laser Show, which runs every night in the summer at 9.30 p.m., Go to stonemountainpark.com to learn more about all there is to see and do when you visit. But if you call 404-741-0750 and you are the first to call, you will get that prize pack. So that brings me uh, to Jeff in Cartersville. Jeff, you're on with Monica. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, Monica. Lay it on me. What you got? I I recently had an experience. I have a an adult stepson that has some psychological issues and ran afoul of the police. And I got an eye-opening experience because in order to get additional food, they would spe- they would charge a dollar ninety-five or something like that for a pack of ramen noodles. And in order to get time on the phone, you would – I had to spend – I had to set up an account and then spend a ton of money per minute just for him to communicate with me. Was this a private facility that he was forcibly admitted to? No. This was this was a uh, – Like did insurance pay for it? No. This was every. This was – he went to jail for six right. days. Okay, and you had to pay and for his food? Oh, if he wanted I had, extra. I had, right, like if he wanted a pack of ramen noodle soup and stuff like yeah. that. And it's like two bucks a packer, you know, I have – without getting into all the details, it was a, a, a fortune. And then in order to make a phone call to go out, they charged – a ton of money 
to you have to set up the account and that costs fifteen dollars. Then in order to make the phone call, they charge two dollars. Then in order to you know for five minute phone call or something like that. I mean these these are yeah. This I could be phone days. Yeah, this could be um, some insight into what's jacking up these insane charges for these people. I think the prison industrial complex is. The biggest scam I've ever started to peel the onion on as far as an industry and corruption. And if you dig into it, I think you'll find the same. I think that's at the heart of this week's media meme of children separated from their parents. But I've got lots more tidbits I want to get to before the end of the show. So stay tuned. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Everything she said was true. She knew. Nobody believed her. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, although I am going to be out the next two Saturdays, which I absolutely hate to do when it's not football or basketball. These are my Saturdays, these three hours. and uh, But I had a weird opportunity, and I have to take advantage of it for the children. I'm doing it for the children. Um, my husband loves live shows, live music events you know and i like shows that are broadcast by food tv and i like to watch them while sipping craft cocktails of my own creation i'm a low energy leisure person um but my husband prefers to traipse around the world and check out cool stuff and this time we have this opportunity to do a couple of cool things and my 12 year old is a russophile I have no idea how this happened, but he loves Russia. I really do not know mm. how, but he had me buy one of those crazy, like, <laughs> hats with the, you know, where you can pull the ears down or fold it up, and he'll, like, play his little games, his video games, wearing this crazy hat. So my husband got World Cup tickets. Somebody offered him World Cup tickets. So we're going to Moscow. You're taking your son? Yes, who does not like soccer. And we're also taking him to see the Stones in Prague. He likes the stones. Wow. I like the stones too. Yeah. I really, I was on board with that because, isn't didn't someone say whoever that uh, you live as long as the youngest, as the as the, the last, last person, person who remembers that, you? Yeah. So like, other than his newborns, <laughs> the seventy-something-year-old Mick Jagger, my son is going to be that person. Is going to be the the like last last fan standing. <laughs> So I thought it was worth it for that, but I am so bad with jet lag. I just don't, I'm really stressed about this and I hate missing the show. But, um, and people laugh at me, they're like, oh, well, well, you know, like to quote Corey Lewandowski, womp, womp. <laughs> um, you know, he said that I, people asked me what I thought about that because he said that about a, a parent being separated from the child with the Down syndrome. Yeah. And uh, that story, of course, was like there was a trafficking, you know, human trafficking suspicion there. But as a parent of a person with Down syndrome, when my son was 10 years old, they could separate him from me for a minute, but they'd be running after my <laughs> prison bus like, take this. It is scary. Sorry, my screaming. So it I mean, these kids are hard to deal with. So that story is a little weird, but. I know I complain about these crazy uh, adventures because I just can't deal with the jet lag. But I thought it would be interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to see Russia from the inside. Maybe you can infiltrate and get some information. 
I I am not there to cause any achievement. <laughs> I'm absolutely on my best behavior. I'm not even going to – I'm just a guest, and I will be respectful and 100%. Uh, but that's how I got – so I started trying to, like, catch up with World Cup stuff, and I realized that the 2026 World Cup is not in Canada or the United States or Mexico. It's in – North America, mm-hmm. as if that's one entity. And and here's an interesting fact. So to go to Russia for the World Cup, if you have tickets, you don't need a visa. So normally it's expensive and complicated to get a visa, time-consuming, all that kind of stuff. But we didn't have to do that because we have World Cup tickets. So if that's how they do it here, when it comes here, you've got completely open borders between – Wow. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. and, and it isn't like the number one source of illegal immigrants, people who – uh, overstay their visas. That's you know interesting. I mean? So I just think it's interesting. I'm not like begging this. I'm not worried about it necessarily, but I just think it's funny because people are like build the wall. Door is going to be wide open. Yeah. And besides, Canada's the problem anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only because you know that those are that they, they um you know I've known ca- Canadians who want to vote. You know, feel like they should vote in our elections. You know, because our a lot of people think that that our president is so powerful, he's like a the whole world has an interest. I did the first illegal voter I ever met was a Danish guy. He said, "Well, I had the right to vote for Bill Clinton because blah blah blah." You know, Bob Dole or something. You know, like it was just <laughs> whatever. He had an R, therefore. Yeah. Ah, uh, so okay, but there were a few things I wanted to talk about with this. Did I forget anything? Was that um, you think it'll be? I'll have a – it'll be okay to get all the way to – I'm a little nervous. About See, I think it's good. I just, you need to watch out for your son. Make sure he's not working for the KGB. Dude, I told him. I was like, if you learn Russian or anything, like, the CIA is going to recruit you. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, would that be okay, Mom? I was like, I don't care. I'm giving up. I don't you – know, <laughs> I don't – you do whatever you need to do. I have a feeling they won't take you. I told him to tell them that I was already working for them, like – Make them like really scratch their heads, like, whoa, she's yeah, living yeah, yeah. hangout, you know, like what it's like, I don't know. So this poor kid, no wonder he's just like, Wait, wait, what's real? <laughs> what's fake? I'm like, I really don't know. So, um Yes, I have to keep an eye. I have to keep an eye. No, but I really am gonna be on my best behavior, very respectful. Uh So the few things I wanted to mention on this, like, massive propaganda blitz about the children being separated at the border. I'm going to take off a few things, and I wanted to ask you. you, One of these things I was asking you about before you had a funny response to or interesting, relevant response to. So I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, I just wanted to point out, so there's 11,000. These are just the numbers that are floating around in the headlines, so I didn't verify them myself. But let's just say this is what people are crying about. 11,000 unaccompanied minors who showed up unaccompanied. So their own parents or they themselves made that decision. And then to, let's say 2,500 in that we're told is in the separation thing. I don't know if I even believe it because the Trump administration is not defending itself really against the, they're, they're, they are promoting the idea that it's a crisis or Trump wouldn't have called it like this huge crisis, you know? So I'm not even sure I trust that, that anything really untoward is going on necessarily. But that's what everybody kind of agrees on those numbers. So maybe it's 14,000 kids or 13,000 kids. Yet I looked it up, 468,000 American children are in foster care right now. And I personally have known four kids who were taken away from their families for a variety of reasons. 
And not, none of them, the parents, like, volunteered. They were forcibly separated. In every single case, the kids were hysterical, you know. Um, and that's 468,000 kids, and this is a function of the welfare state. Uh, and why do we do it? Because we think it's better for the kids, which is, is the number one explanation that we're hearing about the, these border separations. That Down syndrome kid was regarding uh, – was about human trafficking, supposedly. Anyway, so – where are the tears for them? Where are the tears for the kids in Yemen who uh, were given coordinates to Saudi Arabia and what is it, Qatar, whoever's doing it? They're, they're, they're bombing Yemen. Or, or what's happening in Syria? Those are our proxies there. Or at least Saudi Arabia is our number one. You know, these people are dying. They're, the reason they're separated from their parents is their parents are getting killed or they themselves are getting killed. And there's no tears for that. And I would uh, uh, draw people's attention to that old Madeleine Albright interview with Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes from, I think it was 1996. Was it? I can't really remember. She asked Madeleine Albright if if 500,000 Iraqi children dying from our sanctions. Now, whether that number is true or not, I don't know. But they, she asked the question to Madeleine Albright, are the sanctions worth it to get Hussein in line, basically? And Albright said, I think that price is worth it. Well, you know, those were times when Trump wasn't president. But now that Trump's president, <laughs> people are outraged for the children. It's just a little crazy. And, and oh, here's the funny thing about that. Um, the, you know, and I always will say, you ha- always, when you're talking about questions of immigration, always first start with why are these people leaving their homelands? And if you look at articles from last year, Asylum seekers worldwide were down, which is just unbelievable. But I guess there was a surge prior to that. But if if you have if you don't have scarcity, if you don't if people have enough to eat, they're not, I, I think they are not leaving. So what what so it is a policy of those who would undermine communities, real personal safety nets uh, to disrupt communities because they want. They need fiscal and physical insecurity to justify the existence of the state. Again, you can go back and read the report from Iron Mountain just to understand the concepts I'm talking about. So they, so they make sure there's disruption. They, they use interventions, political, economic, military interventions in these countries. It breaks up the country itself, the communities itself, so that those people do not have anybody to help them on the ground. They need government. And, then, and they come over here. And NGOs, huge. there's a huge human rights industry that gets government money to place these people. And, uh, and when they place them, if they place an entire Somali community in Minneapolis or Denver, or whatever, these are not border States like New York and Texas and California who are used to these I- immigrants. It's natural. It's organic. We've always done, you know, it's like, uh, the integration points, but you take these whole system, then it causes conflict. So not only does it break up their own home communities and keep them from having a safety net, that makes them need government help. It also causes conflict in their own new community with the culture clash. And then everybody there makes sure they need authority because they're worried. They don't understand the other person. So there's a lot of issues. You always have to ask yourself, why are they coming? Why is this happening? And I would say increasingly, especially since the food supply is greater than the need for food, there should be no real scarcity why is this happening? Um, you don't even have to fight over land so much if there's enough food and there's some mechanism by which you can you know, engage in labor and, and have access to that. 
speaking of which, two uh, other things. The this is what confuses me about the left screaming and yelling about immigrants. I- immigrants have rights. Illegal immigrants have rights. Whatever. Uh, that's all well and good, but traditionally they were against immigration because they were the ones who were representing labor. And I would another question I would ask is what who is representing labor now? I guess the right? Trump? I don't know. But Stacey used... Abrams. <laughs> is she? Yeah, she's she's the candidate for the labor union unions. She they So she's are... against immigration? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I I, I personally you know, if you look into the – I think there's actually a lot of robust economic research on this. The more people there are, the more work there is, the more production. So it, it to me, it's an obvious fact that on average, humanity must produce more or the same as it consumes over a lifetime. It just has to. You can't – even if you have welfare and redistribution, if there isn't enough for everyone who's consuming, you know, enough has to be produced. And on net, more is produced by every single person than is consumed. So the more people you have, it's it's not a limited number of jobs they take. The more people there are, the more jobs there are. That's just the way it is. And that's the way you would be. If you were put on a plot of land, the plot of land wouldn't be doing anything. And you got there, you'd start planting potatoes. That's how it works. Uh, but to the extent that it used to be a meme of the left, that immigration took jobs it was to protect the labor unions because there was wage pressure. But now, you know, how they get the support of the labor unions and still ask for uh, cheap labor, I, I'm a well, little confused. when you're fighting Nazis, you can get anybody who's against Nazis on your side. But, you know, the Nazi tactic, you know, the Nazis and the communists were the same. They were, they were all about welfare, warfare, the welfare, warfare super state. People don't view them as the same. People don't. <sighs> get outraged about what the communists did. The, the history of it is just not as well Oh, known. yes. That's what my son said. He said, can I wear this hat with the little Soviet pin to my school? He said, you know, because Stalin killed all those people. And I said, yeah, <laughs> they're not going to care. They don't <laughs> yeah. care about Stalin. <laughs> yeah, they'll move you up a grade. Don't worry about Stalin. Um, anyway, uh, no, I, I do not – like any of the uh, – I, I don't actually like any of the symbolism of the totalitarianism. I'm hoping that this phase will pass like with my daughter's princess phase. I'm just hoping it will pass. But I want um, – I'll take this quick break, and then I want to go back to the last segment of our last show and how uh, – what foresight we had in what we talked about and how it has developed over the week. I, I – think you're going to know what I'm talking about, Binkley. I don't know about the listener, but it's worth staying tuned for. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Now, there is a president who may have been elected, but the real man in charge lives several miles underground. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Was that from Fun World, Binkley? It was from Fun World. That I love Fun World. Can we tell people what Fun World is? Can you tweet it? I can find a link and tweet it out. Yeah, Fun right, World so. is a... Television pilot slash short film from uh, a few years back that I participated in. I loved it. So go to at Freedom Act Radio. He's going to tweet it in a little while. Um, <clears throat> so thank you for that. Uh, okay, so last week at the in the last two minutes of the show, if I recall correctly, you said check out this crazy this picture on CNN.com. It's so propaganda-y. It's like 
border patrol agents or whatever and a, and a baby screaming. And then I see this Time magazine cover and either you sent it to me or I sent it to you. And I was like, that's that baby. Right? Yeah. And then I saw an article from like the Mail, the Daily Mail or whatever that said that baby was not separated from her mom. And the dad said, we have three minor kids besides that one. I have a good job. I don't know where she is. I haven't heard from her, but I hear from friends that they never got separated. And I think that that story like got legs and supposedly they're not separated. But here was the punchline, right? What did you see they said after that? Like after it was clear that that baby was not, was the face of the separation, but it wasn't actually separated itself? Well, to begin with, they used that picture to raise $19 million in like the fastest fundraiser in a world in the world on Facebook. And then the Snopes debunked the claim that the media lied about her being separated from her family. And the reason that, that it was debunked is because the media never said she was actually separated from her family. They just raised $19 million. Right, and put her picture in the cover article yeah. about family separation both on Time and CNN. It's such a con. It really is a con. And then they said, which is like the absolute kicker, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether she was actually separated or not because it's happening anyway. So I, I'm going to generate a, a hashtag, not just rules are rules, but right is right. But uh, facts are facts, but truth is truth. Right. Justifying. And on that note, Justifying I got to go. News. I'll see you in three weeks. Thank you very much. This is Monica Perez.